Support for TPR comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping employers get their people home safely. Preventing workplace accidents protects families and keeps businesses productive. More at TexasMutual.com. From Texas Public Radio, this is Texas Matters, a weekly radio news magazine that looks at the issues, events, and people in the Lone Star State. Today on Texas Matters, COVID cases are back on the rise, how Texans can protect themselves with a vaccination. What does it mean that the Texas buoys are still in the Rio Grande? And there's a million dollar treasure hidden somewhere in Texas or in New Mexico. Are you smart enough to find it? This is Texas Matters. From Texas Public Radio, I'm David Martin Davies. The holiday break was a great time to travel and meet with family, but it was also a great time for a new strain of COVID virus to spread. And now we're seeing a surge of COVID cases along with the flu and RSV, and then throw in heavy allergies. It's peak cedar fever season. Thousands of Texans are now currently experiencing severe respiratory symptoms. COVID hospitalization rates in particular have risen by 31% in Texas last week with over 2,700 new hospitalizations. Unfortunately, fewer than 17% of adults in Texas have received the latest COVID vaccine. I spoke with Moderna's Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Francesca Sedea, about the latest surge and how important it is for folks to get the updated vaccine. As you correctly pointed out, indeed, there is an increase in number of COVID for all the reasons you have explained. One of the reasons uh, uh, why COVID is also increasing is because, um, of course, the vaccine coverage rates are not uh, to the standard that we would expect. Um, and uh, uh, just to give you um, some sense of the numbers, um, for example, in Texas, uh, the overall vaccine coverage rates are less than 17%. Uh, while if you think about the hospitalization increase is up by 31%. And if you think about death, there is an increase of 18%. So um, this is a little bit um, concerning uh, because we know that COVID is here to stay. Uh, and uh, like influenza, we need to get used to the idea of uh, um, getting updated vaccines. Now, um, with respect to this season, um, we know that there is also uh, an emerging variant, uh, which is the variant JN.1, which is prevailing uh, in all over the United States, but everywhere around the world. And the good news is that the current approved vaccines, which are updated vaccines, are quite effective against uh, the, this um, new variant. While we're dealing with the variants and uh, COVID continuing to spread, there's also still the spread of misinformation. We recently had uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, governor of Florida, candidate for the Republican nomination for president, saying before a New Hampshire audience that the more boosters you get, the more likely you are to get COVID. That's wrong. Can you kind of explain that? Well, there is nothing better in general than vaccination to prevent uh, any um, in infection disease. And uh, we know that actually, um, thanks to vaccination, we have prevented a number 
uh, of millions of deaths around all over the world, not just in in, in the U.S. Um, but it's not only thinking about death or hospitalization or or ICU uh, admission, which is of course. Uh, intense uh, um, for um, the healthcare system, but let's think also about the risk of uh, uh, suffering from long COVID, which is the um, consequence of the COVID infection. And uh, if you think about it, 60 million Americans have suffered of a long COVID, and 4 million Americans. Um, are unable to go to work, uh, were unable to go to work be- because of long COVID. This is, um, again, um, extremely concerning. And we should ask ourselves the question, why do we want to run the risk of going into an hospital or an ICU or even uh, running the risk of getting long COVID? And now we know much more than we knew before that if you get vaccinated, that you can considerably reduce the risk of long COVID. And I'll give you a a compelling number. Um, There has been several studies, for example, on long COVID, which have shown that um, more than 20 studies, actually, that you can reduce the risk of long COVID by 70% if you get vaccinated. And so um, with vaccination, you can reduce uh, the, um, the duration of the symptoms of long COVID if you uh, get long COVID. So all these are all reasons why we should actually think very positively about vaccination and all the rest that we hear, it's all really about misinformation. And my encouragement would be to, I mean, everybody has the right uh, to get to know and to get to have access personally to the right information. But my encouragement would be try to get to the right sources of scientific data. Um, try to consult your healthcare provider, uh, who, who is a good source of information, and try to avoid to get trapped into. Um, a huge number of uh, messages that are completely wrong about COVID vaccines. Well, in terms of getting the right information, um, there's we're not monitoring COVID the way that we did during the uh, first part of the pandemic. Now, I guess we're, we could say that we're post-pandemic. Uh, COVID is endemic. We're dependent really on wastewater testing to see where we are with COVID. And uh, even in my municipality, uh, San Antonio, Texas, they don't even do wastewater testing. How reliable is that information? Uh, Is it only gives us a general idea of how bad this wave is? Definitely, as you correctly pointed out, um, unfortunately, people have stopped reporting cases. So, and this is not just in the U.S., but uh, in many, again, countries around the world. And wastewater level are the, um, I would say, the most accurate source of uh, information that you can have. And based on that, you can predict more accurately what the number of cases are. So we know, for example, in the United States, 
um, we are peaking at approximately 2 million basin wastewater uh, water level. Um, we are uh, peaking at approximately 2 million um, infection per day. This is gigantic. This is a gigantic number. And, um, and, and based on that, again, you know, uh, although the, the numbers are underestimating, there is still time to consider the appropriate measure. And the first and most important one now is to get vaccinated. If a person got the initial COVID vaccine and then they never got another booster, how vulnerable are they? Well, what we know for sure is that, yes, the good thing is that uh, the majority of the population has now a certain level of antibodies um, and so a certain level of protection because they have been exposed either to uh, vaccination or infection. But we also know that the virus is evolving rapidly. As I mentioned before, the strain that is circulating now it's not the strain that was circulating one year, one year and a half ago. So you are at risk of, uh, um, of course, not being protected and getting the infection and getting sick and potentially um, getting long COVID. So the best example is actually influenza. People are used to get uh, an updated vaccine every year for influenza because we know that influenza changes. And the same thing we should to do for COVID-19. We have to think that the virus changes and, and whenever there is the time for an updated vaccine, we should shift to the updated vaccine. And I would even encourage to think that we maybe shouldn't use the word booster anymore. We should use the word, this is an updated vaccine, okay? It's a new vaccine that is perfectly matching with the, um, uh, uh, or best matching with the um, currently circulating strain. Dr. Francesca Sedea is Moderna's chief medical officer. Remember that floating buoy barrier in the Rio Grande near Eagle Pass? It's still there, and its future is working its way through the U.S. courts. The string of buoys spans approximately 1,000 feet in the middle of the International River. It was deployed last summer by Governor Greg Abbott as part of the $4 billion initiative, Operation Lone Star. This prompted the Department of Justice to sue, arguing that it violates federal law by blocking a public waterway. A federal district judge sided with the DOJ in September and ruled that the state must remove the buoys. A three-judge panel with the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld that ruling last month in a two-to-one decision. But this week, a majority of the court's 17 judges voted to vacate the previous ruling and rehear the case in May, meaning the buoy system can stay in place while the litigation process continues. Meanwhile, also this week... Abbott ordered the Texas National Guard to block the U.S. Border Patrol from accessing the Rio Grande at a critical point at a park in Eagle Pass, causing another dust-up between the Biden administration and Abbott over authority on the border. To explain what all this means, I'm joined by Carl Tobias, Williams Chair in Law at the University of Richmond School of Law. The vast majority of cases in the Fifth Circuit and around the country are heard by three-judge panels. Uh, selected randomly. But there is this provision for the entire court to go en banc, which means all of the judges in active service uh, can hear a particular case. It's very rare that those are granted. 
um, five to ten a year in most appeals courts, maybe slightly more uh, in the fifth and the ninth, the bigger um, circuits. So, uh, and usually that's a sign that there is some disagreement on the court um, about uh, whether the three-judge panel uh, had it right. And so they asked for briefing and argument, uh, and uh, then uh, they may or may not agree ultimately on the um, resolution. But usually it's a sign, I think, and especially in the Fifth Circuit, given the, you know, given the composition of the court, that um, what's likely to emerge out of the, the panel, uh, out of the en banc court, is something that's closer to what Judge Willett, I think, who was a dissenter to the majority opinion of the three-judge panel, was saying. Um, not guaranteed, but uh, it's, it's likely because it's very resource intensive to have all the judges read all you know the briefs and then all of them participate in oral argument and so they are uh, pretty rare um but in this case I think it is a sign that it's whatever happened uh, before um in the district court and then affirmed basically in by the three judge panel is likely to change um when they finally issue it probably sometime a couple months and maybe longer after the oral argument, so probably summer, maybe August, September time frame. Is this another example of some people are saying that the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is actively empowering Greg Abbott's behavior on the southern border as he tries to upend federal authority, traditional federal authority, constitutional federal authority, control and jurisdiction of the southern border. Well, it does seem like that. Um, and of course, there was what happened in the last week that you reported on um, in terms of the uh, the people who died at the border. Um, so the mother and the two children. Um, and so I think it's of a piece, it seems to me. And Paxton is in the middle of it. And Abbott is, of course, the executive who um, is in charge. Uh, so I think, yes, this is um, very similar to what we've already seen. Um, and so far, you know, they've, they've been able to hold the line. The buoys haven't moved out, right, so far. Um, so we'll see. Uh, and, and then it could go on to the Supreme Court, I assume, um, given the positions of, of Abbott and the Attorney General, and then the U.S. Attorney General and uh, the Biden White House. I've heard from the the kayak operator in Eagle Pass. He's been down the river recently, and he has seen the buoys. He says they have moved again back into the Mexican side of the river. That was an issue <laughs> before. Texas had to relocate them into the Texas side of the border. He also says that the buoys have created a disturbance in the river, and they've created a, a whole new island through accumulation of silt through the river flow, which he has dubbed uh, Abbott Island. Um, <sighs> if you go to the buoys right now, you will see that they are causing environmental damage. That's not really been covered. It's not been reported on. But it just shows you how impractical they are to, to be there. 
and how much effort and expense it'll be to maintain them. But the federal government seems to be almost content to let this issue sort of float on by, uh, not ready to tr confront the state of Texas and Governor Abbott on how uh, this needs to, these things need to be removed immediately. Well, I think they've made the arguments. The judges just haven't bought them, right, in the sense of, um, you know, being receptive, except I, I think certainly the district judge, Ezra, was um, receptive, and so was the, the three-judge panel to the arguments being made. Um, but the buoys remain, you're right, and that's part of, you know, getting a stay basically now from the, the, all the members of the Fifth Circuit. And there isn't a whole lot more that the DOJ can do at this point unless they want to take that up to the, to the Supreme Court. Um, and so I, I don't know how much more they can do except to expedite the litigation as much as possible. Um, but I think Judge Ezra had it right in the district court, affirmed by the three-judge panel, but now likely to be changed by the full court. And if you look at the composition of the court, uh, you see the six Trump you know, appointees uh, as active judges and a number of um, earlier appointees of Republican administrations. So um, the Democratic appointees are substantially outnumbered on that court. Um, and, and that partly explains what's going on. The matter of the Abbott trying to assert the Texas sovereignty over the federal national sovereignty over control of the border. How much would that, if it is seen as constitutional through these uh, politically involved courts, how destructive would that be to understanding the nation as we know it now? Well, it does raise the supremacy clause, right? And the notion that some things are assigned to the federal government and other things are, are left with the states. Uh, and it fundamentally, that view fundamentally strikes at um, the, the notion that this is, uh, not to mention we haven't talked about except, you know, implicitly, the relationships internationally, especially with Mexico. And it's clear that there's federal supremacy in that realm, but also uh, as to the Rivers and Harbors Act. As you were just pointing out, that's what the Rivers and Harbors Act, the oldest environmental statute on the books, uh, aims to do, I think, is to prevent obstructions in navigable waters. But having Abbott saying that it's the Texas border first, and the uh, national border second, that almost seems like a secessionist point of view. Well, that's the effect of it, isn't it? I mean, it, it means that the, Texas is reclaiming, if you will, um, its legal authority uh, on the border. But that was part of statehood, it seems to me. Uh, that was part of the initial agreement. Um, to enter the Union. And so it runs counter to decades and centuries of history. Um, and the Supreme Court has said that on many occasions. Carl Tobias is the Williams Chair in Law at the University of Richmond School of Law. 
There's been a lot of talk and ink spilled recently over the future of democracy in America, and questions have been raised about how healthy democracy is in Texas. The Texas Tribune, the largest nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization in Texas, is launching a year-long project to document the state of democracy here and listen to Texans about their connection to how democracy is experienced in Texas. It's called We the Texans, and Matthew Watkins is the managing editor of news and politics at the Texas Tribune. So the idea here is we're going into an election year where obviously there's a lot of unhappiness with the choices and basically the situation with our government, right? You have voters from kind of across the perspective, the political spectrum who feel, you know, they can't trust the election results or feel they're being disenfranchised or feel the government doesn't, uh, you know, work toward their interests or just frankly feel like both parties or the, the choices they have in these elections are, are, are not good choices and frustration and things like that. And what we're trying to do is really get out there, get across the state and understand what's happening. We want to learn from Texans, um, you know, what's happening in their community, what's kind of causing these feelings um, and help others learn about what's going on in that realm as well. The Texas Tribune, nonpartisan, uh, you have no opinion section, don't do editorials. You definitely Mm -hmm. try to uh, not get in the opinion game. How does this fit into that? Right. So, you know, we are um, we are not in the opinion game, but, you know, we are a news outlet. We are a nonprofit that is largely built around the idea that you need good, reliable information and facts in order to have a functioning democracy. Right. So we're not going to take sides on the idea of, you know, this party is better than uh, the other party this candidate is better than the other candidate. But we do kind of operate under the idea of like good information leads to good governance and good governance is a goal for this state. So in that, in that manner, you know, we are pro democracy in this world. And, and so we also recognize though, that we play a role in that democracy, right? The media is an important pillar of democracy and that it's not just good governance that people need. They need good media too. So, Getting out there, talking to people, hearing from folks and things like that will, you know, hopefully help us improve as a part of this democracy as well. Outside organizations have looked at the level of Texas democracy, the health of Texas democracy, and given it pretty much like a low C. Uh, They've looked at things like our low voter turnout, one of the worst in the country, voter registration being very difficult in Texas. They see that as an indicator that uh, Texas democracy is is not healthy. Right. And and I think all those things are important. And it's not just voter turnout. I think voter turnout is huge, right? It's, it's one of the most important things because, you know, the, the people aren't going to listen to their, you know, the politicians aren't going to listen to the people as the people aren't making their voice heard. Um, but it's also things like charitable giving where we rank pretty low as well. Um, voter registration. Um, you know, some of our towns, some of our cities, which are newer and, and, and still fast growing, people don't have as firm roots into the state as, as, as many other people do. You know, you, you see fewer of those like fifth, sixth generation families from a particular area in Texas. There's some of that, but not more. And so, you know, I think there is a recognition that Texas has some room to grow in some of these issues. And, and that's sort of what you want to explore and learn more about. 
Matthew Watkins is the managing editor of News and Politics at the Texas Tribune. There's a million-dollar treasure hidden somewhere, either in Texas or in New Mexico. It's part of a game, but the treasure is real. It's out there somewhere. You just got to follow the clues, said Dirk Gibson, who operates the company Treasure Games. Dirk, uh, you have a treasure of some sort, and you've hidden it somewhere either in Texas or New Mexico. That's what I understand. Is that right? And why would you do such a thing? <laughs> yes. And let me try to explain that. Um, okay. So the treasure, I'll just tell you how it started. Um, I have a business that creates TV shows, even though I live in Montana. I have created quite a few TV shows so from my home. And uh, so part of my job is being creative and part of my personality is wanting to make the world better. So those two things came together one day. I was sitting down in my living room looking out the window here in Montana, and I was thinking of some big ideas because Netflix wanted some big ideas. And I was just thinking, like, what would be a big idea? And I've sold some big ideas for TV shows. So anyways, I was just being creative. And don't ask me why. I can't ever explain it to you. But this popped in my head, and the thing that popped in my head was, wouldn't it be cool if you could find a like a magic lamp in real life and get three real wishes? That's what popped into my head out of nowhere, just because I'm a creative person. And I thought, well, you can't do that because people will just wish for more wishes. I mean, that's that's crazy. So it kept eating at me and eating at me and kept stewing in my mind. And then later, I figured it out. I thought, you know what? I actually could do that. I, and and I want to spread wealth. So I thought, you know, I'm going to start a company. I'm going to call it Treasure Games. And the first game that I'm going to call Wish Lamps, and I'm going to have these lamps made, which I did. Took over This took over five years, by the way, to put this all together. So I had these custom lamps made out of bronze. They're heavy. There's a picture of them online if you want to see it. Me and my partners, my friends, no venture capitalists here, just all Montana guys, we put up the money. It was a million dollars if you find the lamp in cash, or you could take three real wishes totaling $1.2 million. And that's what I did. I created a company, and this is the first game, and then there'll be more games company uh, coming, and we launched it on January 1st. And so there's actually people out there looking for the lamp right now in your region. And that's Texas, New Mexico? Yeah, just, well, Texas, as you may know, is pretty big. So when we divided the country up, Texas and New Mexico became one region, yeah. And there's a lot of wide open spaces uh, there. Yep. It could be anywhere. That's correct. Well, the subscribers get four clues a day. But you don't have to subscribe to to spectate? Yeah, there's a free level where you can watch, you know, videos that are posted by us and videos posted by the players because the players are also asked to upload their, their adventures, their treasure hunting adventures to the platform, which they do. And then we will be calling those and, you know, editing those and putting them out on the free side. And when someone wins something, which two people have already won the weekly contest uh, that happens every week, but um, we film it. And so if you find this, it's required that you film yourself finding it, and then we'll fly down and give you, award you your prize, whichever one you choose, and we film all that. So all that stuff is being filmed because of my production experience, and then we'll put it on the free side so people can at least enjoy it if they don't want to spend the money to uh, play the game. Do you think anyone can do this? I mean, do you have to be like a professional treasure hunter or could be just any person? <laughs> That's a great question, David. So it's designed, you have to be 13, age 13 or up to play. You know, that's the rule. Um, I bet you some kids could figure out some of this stuff. Some of the clues are rated uh, by the clue creators, which is another small team. Um, so they rate them on difficulty. I'm probably telling you more than I should. I haven't thought this through. But anyways, 
the clues are rated, uh, you know, one to five on difficulty scale. And then there's also a rating of how close they are to the actual location. So that's a one to five scale too. So some of it is like getting them to the right state. Okay, there's all these kind of clues. And there's 28 categories for clues. It could be a picture, it could be a riddle, it could be a poem, it could be a video, whatever. And then there's all these clues that get them to the right quadrant of the state. And then there's the clues that get them to the right city. And then there's the clues that get them to the right quadrant of the city and then eventually to the actual location. And so that whole process has been, you know, <laughs> when you're a visionary person, you know, and you're actually doing this stuff, you learn as you go and you flex and you have to adjust and adapt. And so for me, it's been just like one thing after the next, a million little details. And finally, I said, we're just launching this thing on January 1st, and we're going to go. And, you know, it's going to evolve. This treasure hunt is the brainchild of Dirk Gibson. He operates the company Treasure Games. That's it for this edition of Texas Matters. Thanks for listening. I'm David Martin Davies. You can email us at texasmatters at tpr.org. We've got past episodes of Texas Matters on our website at tpr.org. You can download and subscribe to us wherever you find great podcasts. And tune in again next week for another edition of Texas Matters from Texas Public Radio. Support for TPR comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping employers get their people home safely. Preventing workplace accidents protects families and keeps businesses productive. More at TexasMutual.com.